0: When you read scripture, you find that disciples of Jesus were meant to be different from the world around them. And there are a lot of ways that this is meant to be seen, but one in particular is in the way that we think. The natural way that humans think puts fallen man at the center and puts God either at the periphery or excludes him altogether. As disciples of Jesus... Our view of the world, the way we think, is supposed to put God and His revealed Word at the center and and everything else kind of falls into place in light of that. And since this is not the normal way that people think, our minds have to be changed. Our minds have to be what the Scripture calls renewed, transformed, so that we can learn to think the way that God intends for us to think. The passage we're going to look at today it kind of explains why we need to have our minds transformed and and part of sort of the way that we can have our minds transformed. Open your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verse 17 is where we're going to start. That's page 897 in your pew Bibles. And when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Paul says this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their minds. Having the understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. And then just verse 23, we'll talk more about it maybe next week. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. title of the message this morning is, Thinking Differently. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We praise you for your grace and goodness. Thank you for the opportunity that we have today to study your word, to hear what you have to say to us. Guide us today that we would lay aside the cares of this life, and let our hearts be at peace in this moment, in this time, and let us surrender this to you, that we would hear all that you have for us in this time. God, what we're going to talk about today, and just the way that we're to think as believers, it is different than what the world teaches, what the world says, and so God, we will need you to make this clear to us, we will need you to open our hearts, to open our ears so that we could hear and receive and be changed and be more and more of who you want us to be. Fill me this morning with your Holy Spirit. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Help me to speak your words and your ways for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God, you may be seated. You see a contrast being made in this passage between the world apart from Christ and those who have been saved by Christ. Uh, some important points about this contrast that's being made. Notice in verse 20 that Jesus is the dividing line, right? So verse 17, 18, and 19 is the world apart from Christ, verse 20, but ye have not so learned Christ, right? This transition of everything that follows after verse 20 is all you're different in these ways because of Jesus Christ. You have come to know Christ and now you are different uh, the ultimate the other secondly the ultimate goal of the Christian life is that we would live as Jesus lived it's not part of our passage today but we'll look at it next week look at verse 24 that you put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness that, that's an important concept we the ultimate goal of the Christian life here and now it's not that our life would be easy it's not that our life would be just an overabundance of stuff and things that the world looks for, the the purpose of our life now, the goal of our life now is that we would be like Jesus, that we would live the way Jesus lived in in true righteousness and true holiness. And again, we'll talk about that in the weeks to come. But for our purpose today, we just want to see that there is a, a goal of our salvation is to be like Jesus now. We were one way, and then we met Jesus. We're to be another way now that we've met Jesus. What is the primary hindrance to that? It is the way that we think. Right? If, if we think like the world, we will live like the world. If we think like Jesus, we will live like Jesus. I mean, that's just kind of the, a huge part of the point he's making in our text. Because Notice all of the times he references thinking in one way or another in this passage. In verse 17, we, we are not to walk or live as Gentiles live or unbelievers live in the, the vanity of their minds. Right? Verse 18, their, their understanding is darkened. Uh, their ignorance that is in them, the blindness of their hearts. By contrast, disciples are, are taught by Jesus in verse 21. And in verse 23, they're to be renewed in their minds. The reality is the way we think determines the way that we live. If we think something is right, we live as though that thing is right. If we live, if we believe a certain way, we think a certain way, we always live in that way. So if we want to live like Jesus, and as disciples we do, then what we have to do is learn to think like Jesus. And and that is our, our key truth today. Disciple of Jesus must learn to think like Jesus. Disciples of Jesus must learn to think like Jesus. Now, What we're tempted to do at this point is say, well, that's too far-fetched. There's no way we could ever learn to think like Jesus. And yet, in the passage I read at the start of the service, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2 that that we actually, we have the mind of Christ. So as a a born-again believer, disciple of Jesus Christ, we are meant, we are meant to think the way Jesus thought, Now, since we're meant to think that way because we have the mind of Christ, that means that we can actually learn to live that way. But it doesn't happen automatically. There must be this constant renewing of our minds so that we can think the way that Jesus thought and then live the way that Jesus lived. We have to have our our minds constantly renewed because the world wants us to think a different way. Right, Jesus and the way he thinks is one way. The world is constantly saying something entirely different, and and everything, everything in our world is trying to make us think the way that it thinks. Right there, and this is important. We have to understand that that nothing in this world is really morally neutral. Right, TV shows, telev- uh, news. Uh, politicians, songs, and books, none of those things are morally neutral. All of them have a way that they think, and they are trying to convince us to think the way that they think. So all day, every day, our minds are constantly bombarded by worldly thinking, by thinking that is void of God and saying, think like this, this is okay, live like this, do this, believe this. And if we are not constantly having our mind renewed, we will. We will embrace the world's way of thinking. We must resist it and intentionally do what needs to be done so that our minds can be renewed and we can learn to think the way that Jesus thinks. There are two primary ways this passage shows us to learn to think like Jesus. The first is recognize and reject Godless thinking. And what I mean by godless thinking is thinking where God is not a part of the process. Thinking where the will, the want, and the word of God is not considered. Godless thinking is what we see in verses 17, 18, and 19. And what we see in this passage is the way people apart from Christ naturally. Think. Not only is this the way people apart from Christ naturally think, this is the way the world is trying to lead us to think. And if our minds are not being renewed, this is the way that we will think. Right? This sort of thinking is so common that in many cases it's going to sound like that's what's normal and what I'm saying is crazy. Right? So what is Godless thinking? There are three characteristics this passage gives us. One is that godless thinking is vain. Right? In verse 17, we're not to, to walk as the other Gentiles or unbelievers in the, in the vanity of their minds. Now, the word that the King James translates as, as vanity, it carries with it the idea of, of empty, of senseless, of worthless, or unsuccessful. So, vain thinking really does not produce the sort of results that it promises. Right. What happens is, when we put fallen man at the center, and we push God to the periphery, we say, man is going to solve this, man is going to fix this, man has the solution to all of our problems, but in reality, this is all in vain. This does not produce the necessary results, it does not accomplish that which it promises. Uh, There's lots of ways that we could see this, but one primary way is thinking about how to make the world a better place. Now, certainly, seeking to make the world a better place is a good idea. <laughs> However, any effort to make the world a better place that puts man at the center and pushes God on the outer edges, it is, it's vain. It, it is worthless. It is not going to accomplish it. And, and and I have my favorite illustration of this. Think about politics, right? Because I don't know if you've noticed, we are in an election season. Has anybody noticed that? So politics is on the news all the time. And so if you're if you're even remotely socially aware or aware of the news, here's what you know. America is all jacked up. And there is, there is absolutely one group at fault. But who that group is depends on who you're listening to. Right? If, you, if you turn on MSNBC... And you listen to that crowd. Clearly, the problem is President Trump and the GOP. But right? if if we can elect a Democrat president and we can flip the Senate and we can get Democrats into all the places of power and, and maybe maybe just push all the conservatives off on their own little red state island, then America would be a a near utopia. Isn't that kind of the gist? Of course, most of you, you probably don't watch that channel. You watch the other channel, where clearly the problem is all the Democrats, all the liberals in the world. They're the reason the world's all jacked up the way it is. And if we can just keep President Trump in 2020, and if we can flip the House and keep a Senate majority for the GOP in 2020, And maybe, I mean, it's not a bad idea to ship all the liberals off on their little blue state island. Then America would be a near utopia and all the problems of the world would be fixed. (sighs) Now, depending on where you fall politically, you may agree, partially or completely, with one of those views. The problem is, neither one of those views is accurate. Neither one of those views is real. It's, It's vain thinking. Because there is... There is no way that political power, that political resources can actually do what they're promising to do. Because let, let's imagine for a minute. Right? Let's imagine in 2020 everybody we like wins and everybody we dislike loses. So we have all the right officials in all the right places. They're going to pass all the right laws. and They're going to have all the right Supreme Court justices. And, and, and everything is just the way we Imagine it should be is that really going to fix all of the problems in america i mean will will at that point will the abuse and, the, and neglect of children will it be brought to an end? Will the demand for sex trafficking go away right? Because keep in mind the problem with sex trafficking isn't so much the traffickers they 're a problem. But why do sex traffickers traffic women and children? Because somebody demands it. Somebody wants it. So will all the laws take that desire and that demand away? Will will marriages, however you want to define it, will they be a model of faithful love? Will greed and pride, will they cease to exist? Because, I mean, let's be honest, how many problems in our world are just, in America, are just the problems of greed and pride? So if we get all the right politicians in all the right places, will will those problems be eradicated by the laws that they produce? Will humans, will we be able to master our impulses in angers of, of sexuality and anger and narcissism? I mean, I won't go into that. These, these impulses, these are strong in our culture right now, aren't they? Sexuality drives virtually everything. Anger explodes all the time in our country right now. Narcissism leads. And narcissists are often promoted. Will, will electing all the right officials in all the right places, will it push Those things, where they they cease to exist? And then on just a personal level, all the problems in, in your life and mine, will we finally be able to be the person we're meant to be? I mean, not just them out there. I mean, let's just bring it right home to the person we see in the mirror. Will my anger, will it be done away with? Will my inconsistencies, my sinful temptations, Will I finally be able to be who I'm meant to be if we elect all of the right people in all of the right places? Will you? Of course we know the answer is is no. No, because the, the main problem isn't the external stuff. It's, it's internal, right? I mean that the main problem in our country is that people's hearts are wrong. The the laws and the other things that are going on are are merely symptoms of the fact that hearts are filled with sin and hate and anger. And external laws will not fix it. So no matter the hype that either, either side puts out, it's not doesn't have all the answers. It isn't going to be able to do what it produces. Because any time we put fallen man at the center and we God, we push God to the edges, our thinking is, is vain, it's worthless, and that is, it is destined to fail. Throughout history, different groups have tried to make utopian, uh, utopian communities. And everyone failed. Why? Because people were there. And fallen humanity cannot produce utopia. It just won't happen. And even history teaches us. Has there been historical times where there was a Republican president and a Republican Congress? Yeah. Was the, the problems of the world all fixed? No. Has there been a period of American history where there was a Democrat president and a Democrat Congress? Yeah. And was the problems of America all fixed? No. Why? Because fallen man is never the solution. Fallen man can never do all the things fallen man thinks it can do. This is why we have to have our minds transformed. because the way that we think, it always determines the way that we live. Godless thinking will always produce God less living. If I think, There is no God and I am accountable to no one outside of myself. I will live as though there is no God and I am not accountable to anybody outside of myself. When I think that, that I have a special deal with God, then I will live as though God's word does not apply to me. When I think that a lack of education is the root problem of humanity, then I will live as if education and not Jesus Is the greatest need in the world. And when I think that the government can fix the world, then I will live as if my political ideology or my political candidate and not Jesus is the one who will save the world. Thinking determines actions. And when I think like the world, I will behave and I will act like the world. And I will look to the world for solutions. To humanity's greatest needs. That thinking is always in vain. Godless thinking is also spiritually blind. Look at what Paul says in verse 18. Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God. Through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their hearts. Paul says in verse 18. The natural mind is spiritually blind. Their understanding is is darkened. Uh, Everything in verse 18 seems to be tied together. Their understanding is darkened because they're alienated from the life of God. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and this ignorance is because of the blindness of their hearts. Now the idea that their understanding is darkened, it means that they are spiritually blinded to God to the realities of God and the things of God. They don't see God's work in the world. They don't think that Prayer helps when there's tragedies. They don't understand the truths of God's word. Uh, And given the context, I think it could specifically apply to the gospel. Therefore, they remain in a constant state of alienation from the life of God. Since they don't see the importance of the gospel... They don't understand who God is and what God's like. They just, they stay outside. They never come to faith in Jesus Christ. Never saved, never a part of the kingdom of God. Now, the the result of this is that it keeps them ignorant of God's will and God's want. Now, they're like the people described in Psalm chapter 10, where it says that God is in none of their thoughts. For these people... There is never really a time where they think, I wonder what God would say about this. I wonder what God's will is. What does God's word say about this issue or what's going on? Their decisions are, are never based upon what is revealed about God from Scripture. And if by chance they think about God or His revealed will, they push those thoughts out of their minds. And the result of constantly pushing God out of their minds and out of the thought process is that their hearts become blinded. Now the King James translation of blindness. Could also be translated as hardened. Right? And hardened is possibly a better translation of the word. And it pictures hearts that are hard and calloused. To the things of God. And the reason this is something that it is troubling. Is because it is a. It's done on purpose. They do it to themselves. Right? This isn't that they were born hard hearted. And this isn't that God has made them hard hearted. In fact, this more pictures that they have maybe even heard the word. Or they, they know what it said, but they have continually pushed it away and pushed God out. And every time they've resisted, and every time they've rejected, and every time they've pushed God and His word and His will away, their hearts harden just a little bit more. So this, this hardening, this blindness of their hearts, It is all their own fault. This is something they have done to themselves. Now, Here's why spiritual blindness is such a problem. Let's imagine that from the back door of that Sunday school classroom to the gym, we plant a minefield. But because we want to be safe and we want to do a safety violation... We clearly mark every minefield, bright red dot on the ground that is clearly seen on the ground. But one day we're going to have a competition and we're going to have races to race from this door to the gym. We're going to get Scott and Jeff. We're going to blindfold Scott, but not Jeff. Now, which of the two is likely to survive that competition? Probably not Scott. Being blindfolded, he can't see the clearly marked landmines. And he'll be safe so long as he doesn't run across one, but we've created the landmine field in such a way that there's no way that's going to happen. When will we live in a world that is spiritual as well as physical? And there are definitely things that we might call spiritual landmines all around us. And disciples of Jesus, who, who embrace godless thinking, they blind themselves to those landmines. When we, as disciples, when we embrace a godless way of thinking, it's like we put on a spiritual blindfold and we run through the minefield ourselves. The outcome, it is guaranteed that outcome will be destruction. That outcome will be disaster. Every time you or I, we let the world choose our way of thinking. The world is always only godless in its thinking. Always. There is never a worldly thought that is God-centered, that is Bible-based. And when we let the world think for us, We embrace a godless way of thinking. We harden our hearts. We blind ourselves to the spiritual realities. And we run through a minefield. And it is guaranteed. Disaster will follow us in that time eventually. So we have to recognize godless thinking for what it is. And then we have to reject it. And then the last is that godless thinking is morally corrupt. Paul says in verse 19 that these same people, that they are past feeling and that they have given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Now, past feeling in the Greek is one word and it carry, it's a medical term and it refers to someone who has the point of being able to feel pain. Now, in this sense, it refers to moral pain or being past the point of being being able to feel the guilt for sin or conviction for sin or the, the weight of sin or the shame of sin. So think about the people in Romans one who, who know the judgment of God against sin and not only do that sin but approve of and encourage others to do that sin. Those are our people who are past feeling. Think about the people in Jeremiah's day who God said could who felt no shame and could not blush over their sin. Those are people who are past feeling. So think again, think of our world. In our world, do we see that the world at large, the world's thinking is past feeling that it is so morally corrupt that they do not blush at sin. They are not ashamed of sin. They feel no guilt for sin. That there is not only pride for sin, but an encouragement for everyone to do their sin as they feel free, as they ought to do. Now the picture here seems to be that they have totally given themselves over. They are past feeling because they have given themselves over to sin. Again, think about this. This is self-inflicted. But this isn't people who were born so morally corrupt they didn't feel the guilt of sin and the shame of sin. This is instead people who sin. And then when the guilt or the shame or the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come, they would push it away. They would harden their hearts to the point that they no longer felt that they have done this to themselves. Giving themselves over to lasciviousness. To work all uncleanness. Now, lasciviousness and uncleanness refer to the, both refer to the most vile forms of immorality, particularly sexual immorality. And notice how they do it with greediness. So they have given themselves over essentially just to live a life of sexual and sinful immorality. As much as they can accomplish, as much as they can get in their lives, they're like a a, a glutton that is never satisfied. There's always more that they want, more that they desire, more, more, more. And as they go headlong into sin, there is a problem. They never feel a restraint because they don't feel the guilt of sin. They don't feel the weight of sin. You know, pain, While it's uncomfortable, it's important, isn't it? I mean, if you break your leg, but don't feel any pain, that's dangerous. You can can be seriously damaged if there is something wrong in your body and there is no pain produced. In the same way, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, while it is uncomfortable, it is an indicator that something is wrong. And when we cannot feel that conviction for our sin, when we cannot feel the shame and the weight and the guilt of our sin, something is dreadfully wrong in our lives. Listen, that's, that's such a huge thing. There are no people who have a special deal with God and get to live in sin, and God's okay with it. Friend, if, if you are living in sin and there is no conviction, there is no shame, there is no weight from the guilt of that sin, it's not that God is okay with it. It is that you have resisted and rejected to the point that you are probably close to being past feeling. You have given yourselves over to it. You are in a damnable, dangerous place. And if you don't take that seriously, there is nothing but destruction coming for when there is no conviction there is no shame we do not turn from we just push headlong into it till it destroys us now in in my mind these passages show a a progression but as we give ourselves to vain thinking we spiritually blind ourselves to the realities of the will and the ways of God. The longer we spiritually blind ourselves, the harder our hearts become to the ways of God. And eventually, our hearts are hardened to the point that we are past feeling and our morality and our moral choices are so totally out of whack with God's will and God's wants it's almost insanity and yet to us it will make perfect sense and we just don't care one of the ways that I think about with this, this, this sort of end to it I watched a video, I don't know a couple of years ago and these people went into a grocery store and they, they got a frozen chicken and they put it In a casket. And they had a funeral for the frozen chicken. In the grocery store. That chicken had a name. It had brothers and sisters who loved it. A mom who loved it. It had potential. It could have had a family. And yet it was slaughtered. So you animals could eat it. And then they walked out of there. And they went and protested to make sure abortion stays legal. Save the chickens. Kill the babies. Even kill the babies up to the point of an afterbirth. But by golly, save the chickens. That is that sort of end of all of this. Worthless thinking spiritually blind, hard-hearted, morally corrupt thinking. And there is so much of this in our culture today. This is the way our culture is pulling us to think. This is the way our culture wants us to think. And, And again, everything Everything has a way it views the world and a way it thinks and everything wants you to agree with it. So what we have to do is be alert to recognize when we see it, recognize it and reject it no matter what the form it comes in. It doesn't matter if it comes in the form of this is the way intellectuals are. It's You don't be stupid and believe the other way. Reject it if it comes in that form. Reject it if it comes in the form of this is loving and this is kind and this is affirming and that other way that's evil, that's harsh, that's not nice. No matter what form the world brings it, we must recognize it and we must reject it. Because if we don't, We will live like the world and we will not live like Jesus. The disciple of Jesus must learn to think like Jesus. And this requires us to recognize and reject godless thinking. And then secondly, learn from Jesus. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ. So all of that way, verse 17, 18, and 19, the way the world thinks, that is not the way Christ thinks. That's not the way we learn as we learn Christ. You have not learned from Christ this way of thinking. If so be that you have heard Him and been taught by Him as the truth is in Him. Now, so the if so be, it doesn't imply doubt. That they have been taught by Jesus. Rather, the idea is since they have heard Jesus, since they have met Jesus and have been taught by Jesus, they, they know the truth. And they, they know they are able to recognize and reject this godless way of thinking. Now, part of what I like about verses 20 and 21 is the focus on Jesus. In verse 20, Jesus is the truth we have to first learn, but you have not so learned Christ. But then in verse 21, Jesus is the teacher of the truth. If you have heard Him and been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus. Now we probably pretty easily understand the idea that Jesus is the truth we need to learn. But it may sound odd to say that Jesus is the one who teaches us. But it should If, as we profess as believers in Jesus Christ, that he is a real person and he really rose from the dead and he never dies again. And if he is, as scripture says, living and knowable and personally involved in the lives of those he redeems, then it ought to make sense that he is actively involved in teaching us. This is really just a basic tenet of Christianity. When Jesus gives the great invitation to come to Him, all who are heavy laden, He invites them to come and and learn from Him. But that does bring up the question, how do I learn from Jesus? The primary way that Jesus teaches us is through His Word. That is so important. The world... And worldly Christianity is trying to push us away from the Bible. You don't need that. You don't need that anymore. Things have changed. The world is different. And yet all throughout Scripture, Jesus and the authors of Scripture call us constantly back to the Word of God. If we want to be taught by Jesus, we have to be in the book of Jesus. Now, there's a, I think it's a meme on Facebook, or it's probably been around longer than that. But it says something like, don't whine that God isn't speaking when your Bible is closed. You want to hear from Jesus? You want to learn from Jesus? You want to be taught by Jesus? Then, then get in the book of Jesus. Now, don't, don't, don't necessarily watch movies about Jesus. Don't read other books about Jesus. Get in, in this book. This is the primary book that we need to, to be in. And we've all had times where we were studying the Bible and, and suddenly the passage just jumped off. It gripped us. It, it spoke a word that we needed at that moment. It maybe challenged us or convicted us or encouraged us or gave us a new way of thinking. And all of this, this is being taught by Jesus. He does this so that we can learn to think like him and we can learn to live like him. As disciples of Jesus, we are meant to be students of Jesus. To do this, we must do everything we can to learn from Jesus. Now, I'm going to throw some questions up on the screen. And there probably won't be time to write them all down. But next week I'll have handouts out on the foyer fort that have all of this on it. Um, and I can't even see them all. with My, my eyes are bad. Uh, but as we read Scripture, ask yourself questions. Right? What does this passage tell me about who God or who Jesus is? What does this passage teach me about how to think in light of who God or Jesus is? What does this passage teach me about who I am in light of who God or Jesus is? What does this passage teach me to do in light of of who God or Jesus is? Think about that. I mean, if we, like Isaiah 6 is a great example. Picture God high and lifted up. The angels, they don't even look upon Him in His glory. They cover their eyes. And they do not cease to cry out, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who is He in that passage? What is He like there? And if He is that, if He is holy and high and lifted up and exalted in that manner, what does that mean about who I am? What does that mean about how I should live? What does that, How should I think? How should I think in this world in light of God? God, That is that great? Also, what does this passage teach me about what God or Jesus has done? What does this passage teach me about how to think in light of what God or Jesus has done? What does this passage teach me to do in light of what God or Jesus has done? What does this passage teach me about who I am in light of what God or Jesus has done. Again, for that one, think about like the cross, the passion accounts. God became flesh. He took upon us his our sin. He he died that horrible Awful death in our place. He he suffered hell on the cross that we might be forgiven. If He has done that for us, who am I? How then shall I live in light of a God who has done all of that for me? Should the God that is high and lifted up? And died on the cross for my sins? Should I see that and then say I'll spur His word and live how I want? Is that the, the proper response? To the life of absolute surrender to do His will no matter what that will may be. Is that the proper response? This is how we learn Jesus. We think through questions like that. We, we look seriously at what the word says about who He is, what He's done. And then we say, what, what does that mean for me? How should I live? How should I think? How, who am I in light of that? Now those are for like all of Scripture. If you're reading the Gospels specifically, you could also ask this. What were Jesus' values? What were Jesus' priorities? What kind of attitude did Jesus have? What actions did Jesus take How did Jesus react to stressors? How did Jesus treat people? What kind of spiritual disciplines did Jesus practice? What kind of relationships did Jesus have? Right. So we, we look at that and we think, what was important to Jesus? So if I'm to think like Jesus, I need to know what was important to Jesus. And then I need to live like Jesus and let that be important to me. How did Jesus react to stressors? I need to learn what that is. And then, when stressors come into my life, I need to live like Jesus and react and respond in the way that He did. If if we want to learn from Jesus, we have to be intentional about doing what's necessary to learn from Him. And this means we have to study the Bible for ourselves. We have to. I'm a big believer in coming to church. In fact, I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But if you only come here on Sunday mornings and you get 40, 45 minutes of a sermon, and that's all you get for a week, you are not getting everything you need to think like Jesus and live like Jesus. You must study the Bible on your own. I mean, this is God speaking directly to us Think about something you really want to learn. Whatever it would be. You want to be a marksman. And the greatest shot in the world offers to let you come to a lecture once a week and let him instruct you on marksmanship. And then you can spend time with him every day to learn that. Are you going to occasionally go to the the seminar that's free and learn from him and then... Maybe once a month or so, pick up, go and go to where he's at and learn from him like that? Or are you going to be at that seminar every time he's given it? And then every day that he says, you can come and walk with me and learn from me, go be where he is, I mean, just to the dead level best of your ability. You're going to go there. You're going to do it. If we really want to learn how to think like Jesus, this is what it takes. It takes coming to church. Make no mistake. It takes this. And it takes being in the Word on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday on your own. It takes that. If we really really want to learn from Jesus, we'll do those things. There are two things that will primarily hinder us from learning from Jesus and I want to say these in love because they're going to sound harsh but I don't mean them to be two primary hindrances laziness and fear laziness because to study and learn from Jesus like this it takes time it takes more than 10 minutes a day it takes time it takes energy it takes effort it takes thinking through things. Meditating on it. Seeing what's going on in my life. What do I need to change in light. Of what I, I've said. Of what, what, what God has said. And the sad fact is. Many people who would say they are disciples of Jesus. They do not want to put forth that kind of effort. They're just too lazy. And they can watch. 43 hours of. You know, the Kardashians, they can't spend an hour a day or 30 minutes a day in the Word reading it. It's just too much effort. And again, with, truly with love. If you're too lazy to put forth that effort, you'll never learn to think like Jesus. And you'll never be like Jesus. And the second is fear. Fear because... If I'm going to learn to think like Jesus and live like Jesus, something's going to have to change in my life. There's not one of us in here, no matter how far we are along in our spiritual life, we are a million miles away from being like Jesus. We are a million miles away from thinking like Jesus and living like Jesus. There is a lot of work in all of us that needs to be done. The fact is, we just don't want to be challenged on those things. We... We like how we think and how we act and what our values are and what our priorities are and how we act and how we react and what we do. And we don't want to be challenged and have to change. And that fear is absolutely going to keep us from learning to think like Jesus and learning to live like Jesus. Fear cannot hold us back. We cannot become so complacent and so comfortable with who we are that we just say, I'm, I'm good. Because the reality is, we're not. There is just tons of work that needs to be done in each and every one of our lives. And if either one of these is something that we know, right now you're saying, yep, that's me. That, that is something that's holding me back. You must recognize it. As a deep, serious, spiritual problem. Because those who are saved by Jesus, they they want to know Jesus. I mean, think about about your spouse. When you guys got married, when you were first dating, didn't you want to be together? And isn't one of the first signs of a marriage that's having problems is when you can't, you don't like being together, you don't want to be together? I don't want to be with my spouse, something is wrong. I don't want to be with my Savior, something is wrong. Those who know Jesus, they want to be like Him. And they want to do whatever they can. To learn to think like Him and to remove anything that hinders their lives. Where this desire is missing, there is a serious spiritual problem. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I want to ask you today if you're here and you would say you are a disciple of Jesus, have you learned to think like Jesus? Or do you still see godless thinking in your life? Do you still look for natural or worldly solutions to spiritual problems? Have you become blinded to the spiritual realities of the world around you? Does your thinking more resemble the the morality of Scripture or the morality of the world? Are you constantly learning from Jesus? Are you putting forth the time and the effort necessary to be a student of Jesus through the Word? When the Word contradicts your attitudes, your actions, your reactions, your values, your priorities or your morality, what do you do? Do you bring those things into conformity to Scripture? Or do you push it away? Do you ignore it? Friend, we must think through this. We must find a way to answer that in and of ourselves. Where am I? I can't tell you. I don't know. This is something where you kind of have to say, show me God. Or probably you already see it and you know. But where there is a difference between you and Scripture, where there is a problem... You must take that seriously. You can't ignore it and hope it goes away or gets better. It won't. It will get worse. Your heart will get hardened. You will push further and further away from God. And if you've never received Jesus, that's where everything starts. Everything in verse 17 through 19 is the way we are apart from Jesus. Then in verse 20, everything changes because of Jesus you have never turned to Christ, received him. That's where it has to start. You can't change your thinking apart from Jesus. You must go to him in faith and cry out for him to save you. And what the what Paul talks about there is actually knowing Jesus, not just knowing about Jesus. What Jesus offers us isn't religion. And it's not doing things. What Jesus offers us is Himself. So I'm not saying come today and receive religion. I'm not saying come today and try harder. Today I'm saying come to Jesus and receive Jesus. And surrender to His work and His will in your life. Let's pray.